Be reading Mark 16, 1 and 2. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome had bought sweet spices and they might, that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. We're going to be looking tonight at the 16th chapter of the Gospel according to Mark. We're going to be talking tonight about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did you know that the Christian religion stands or falls on the resurrection of Christ? If the resurrection did not occur, then ultimately you and I would be wasting our time following the Lord. But gratefully, we know and believe that Jesus came forth from the dead on the first day of the week following his death on Calvary some 2,000 years ago. In Revelation chapter 1 at verse 18, Jesus said, I am he who lives and was dead, and I am alive forevermore. Amen. And then he went on to say, I have the keys of Hades and of death. Jesus Christ has the keys to the cemetery. And because he broke the bonds of death, you and I, we have hope to one day be resurrected from the grave ourselves. Let's look at Mark, the 16th chapter, for just a moment and note what is said to us about the resurrection of Jesus. The first thing that I want to call your attention to has to do with the visitors at the tomb. Beginning in verse 1, we read of those who were present at the tomb. The Bible says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. When we look at these visitors at the tomb, I guess the first thing we need to point out is the fact that there were some earthly visitors and there was a heavenly visitor. Those who were earthly in nature, these women who came initially to finalize the embalming process that had begun earlier on the body of Jesus Christ. They had bought spices and they came to anoint his earthly tabernacle, that being his human body. Now in verse 2, we find that very early in the morning, and this, this was, as you know, the first day of the week, Sunday, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? And so they were involved in some discussion among themselves as to who would move this large stone from the mouth of the tomb. And the Bible tells us that when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. Now Matthew tells us over in Matthew chapter 27, when he discusses the resurrection of Jesus, he points out that a great earthquake occurred and that an angel from heaven descended and rolled back the stone that was covering the mouth of the tomb. 
Now in verse 5, the Bible says that entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Well, I could just imagine seeing this angelic being. It would, no doubt, frighten someone or alarm them. I mean, after all, they went to the tomb. They were prepared to anoint the body of Jesus. They wanted to come and finalize his embalming process. They're wondering who's going to roll away the stone from the mouth of the tomb. And all of a sudden, they, they get to the tomb. They find that this stone has been removed. And then they look in, and what do they see but an angel. Have you ever thought about the significance of angelic beings as recorded by the sacred writers in the long ago? Let me just call your attention to a couple of occasions. Go back and look at, well, look at the book of Luke. And in the book of Luke, you will read of an angel by the name of Gabriel announcing to Mary, the mother of Jesus, that she would bring forth a son and that she would call his name Jesus. Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 1 that Joseph, that is the husband of Mary, the Bible tells us that an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, That which is conceived in Mary is of the Holy Spirit, and she shall bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for it is he that shall save his people from their sins. And then in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus was born in that manger, the Bible tells us, again, an angel appeared to those shepherds who were watching their flocks in the field. And he said, there is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And then a host of heavenly messengers appeared on the scene, and they began praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward man. And so angels were used in a very significant way to announce the birth of Jesus. And uh, you can read throughout the, the New Testament, and you will see that Angels will be used by God. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that when Jesus one day comes again, that we will hear the voice of an archangel. And so God has used these incorporeal beings, that is spirit beings, to accomplish his will and his purposes in days gone by. So these visitors at the tomb, they met this heavenly visitor, this angelic being. But now I want you to think about what Mark describes as victory over the tomb. And really here we think about the power that Jesus demonstrated over the tomb. And we think about an empty tomb. Note what is said in verse 5. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. A couple of things I want us to think about here. Jesus, as you well know, was put to death on Calvary's cross. Luke tells us when they came to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors of the thieves, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And Jesus experienced death on the cross for the sins of the human family. Now, no doubt, his enemies believed that when they finally put him to death on that wooden cross, they were done with him. Many of his disciples, as a matter of fact, his disciples, 
did not understand the significance of what Jesus had said to them about the resurrection. You, you recall back in John chapter 2, Jesus had said on one occasion, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. They thought he was talking about that physical structure, the temple located in Jerusalem. He wasn't talking about that physical structure at all. He was talking about his body. And he said, you'll destroy this body, but I will raise it up three days later. Well, what happened? The Bible tells us very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, Jesus came forth from the tomb. As a matter of fact, this angelic being said, he is risen. One of the gospel writers says, why do you seek the living among the dead? Jesus broke the bonds of death. And so we have a powerful proclamation. That being, He is risen. Did you know that the resurrection of Jesus is an affirmation of His deity? Take, for example, what Paul said in Romans chapter 1 at verse 4. The Bible says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now, there are a lot of people today that question, who was Jesus? No doubt there were people in the first century that questioned, who was he? You remember when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I the Son of Man am? What did they say? They said, well, some say that you are John the Baptist. Some say that you are Jeremiah. Others, Elijah or one of the prophets. Jesus then asked this important question, but whom do you say that I am? Simon Peter spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so there were any number of people that had misconceptions concerning the identity of Jesus. And really, there are only several possibilities. Number one, if you and I were to ask the question, who was Jesus in light of the resurrection? Well, first of all, some would say he was just a fictitious character. Is that the truth? I mean, if you and I look back and, and we read what the Bible says about Christ and we look at secular history, was he just a fictitious character? Well, we know that's not the case. There might be some that try to propagate that kind of, of uh, idea. The fact of the matter is Jesus was not and is not a fictitious character. And then there would be some who would say that Jesus was some type of social activist. I mean, after all, he was concerned about human needs. He was concerned about the exaltation of his fellow man. And you can read how Jesus interacted with people on a regular basis, and you'll see that he often reached out to those who were helpless, those who were downtrodden, those who had problems. And so some would say, well, he was just a great social activist. Well, he may have been concerned about some of the social plights of his contemporaries about him, but he was more than that. And then there would, some, there would be some who would say that he was a fraud. The idea is that he claimed to be the Son of Man, the Son of God, that he claimed to be the Messiah when in fact he wasn't. There were a lot of people that that had misconceptions concerning the identity of Jesus. I mean, look at, look at his discourses on a number of occasions with the Jewish people. Did they really believe that he was the Messiah? The one who had, who had come to 
establish a kingdom and liberate people from sin and unrighteousness. The Bible says that Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. So many of the Jews misunderstood the nature and the mission of Jesus. And yet Jesus over and over again tried to identify himself as God's only son. And then there would be some that would say that he only imagined himself to be the Messiah. I mean, many of us have seen individuals that, you know, maybe they have some type of psychological disorder and they imagine themselves to be any number of characters. Was that the case with Jesus? I don't think so. But there might be some that would make that claim. And then fifthly and finally, he can only be the Son of God. That is, he can only be who he claimed to be. That is, the divine Son of God. You have five possibilities. I would submit unto you that Jesus was and is the Son of God. That's why Paul, in writing to the saints of Rome, said he was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Peter had it right when he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In John chapter 6, when many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him because he had declared himself to be the bread of life, Jesus asked the question, Will you also go away? Peter asked, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. And we believe and are sure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, that's who Jesus was. You remember the centurion? When Jesus gave up his inward spirit on the cross, when he said, it is finished, the veil of the temple was rent in two, the centurion said, truly, this man was the Son of God. That's who we're talking about, the Son of God. But now, let me call your attention to a third thing that we see in Mark 16. We think about those visitors at the tomb, his victory over the tomb, and the verification at the tomb. And here we're talking about the people's examination of the empty tomb. Now, there were a lot of people that had the opportunity to look firsthand at this empty tomb. And not just the empty tomb, but to visibly see the resurrected Lord. So I want you to first of all note their inspection of the tomb. We're talking about these ladies that had ministered to Jesus during his earthly ministry here upon this earth. Note if you would what Mark says in verse 6. He said, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. Now listen to him. See the place where they laid him. In other words, inspect it. You want proof? Here's proof. Here is an empty tomb. They were encouraged to inspect the tomb. And we can read about others who had the opportunity. Peter, for example, to inspect this tomb. Had you and I been present? Would we have wanted to see the evidence for ourselves? I think so. All of us want to, to have evidence. You know, it's not some blind shot in the dark, but we want verifiable Evidence. Well, we have evidence. And here's the evidence. And the angel of the Lord said, He's not here. See the place where they laid him. And then note, if you would, the instructions at the tomb. Look at verse 7. The angel said, But go, tell his disciples. And then, almost parenthetically, he said, And Peter, that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. 
Peter, you recall, denied the Lord. Peter had very boastfully said, though all would forsake you, I'm not going to forsake you. Others may deny you, I will not deny you. And yet, Jesus told him that he would indeed deny him. Three times, Jesus denied knowing the Lord. And yet, the Lord wasn't finished with Peter. Peter made a great mistake. We would say he messed up. Aren't you grateful for people like Peter? Aren't you thankful that even though Peter messed up, made a mistake, the Lord wasn't through with him? Aren't you grateful that the Lord could still use Peter, that the Lord thought about Peter? I mean, you just think for a moment about it. Here, here's a man that had been one of the inner disciples along with, with uh, James and John. These men had been privileged to see Jesus transfigured on the mountaintop. They heard that voice that came forth from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear Him. They had been present when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying to God the Father, If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. Peter had been right there beside the Lord. He had seen so much, he had heard so much, and yet he denied the Lord. But the Lord is a merciful and compassionate being. And he was willing to forgive Peter for his wrongdoing. And so he told the disciples, or rather told these, these women, go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. Now, we can read further of Jesus manifesting himself to the apostles and to others. The Bible tells us that he was seen of some, of some 500 people, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And Paul, in that chapter, it's called the resurrection chapter. He identifies those that, that Jesus appeared before. That is, those witnesses. And look at, look at the book of Acts and note how many times Luke records the apostles bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, the Bible says that Jesus showed himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs or many unmistakable proofs being seen by them 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So here's Jesus after the resurrection appearing before numerous individuals and it was unmistakable that this is indeed the Son of God. And so we turn over to Pentecost Day as recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 2. And what is Peter's sermon on that day? Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. A man approved of God among you by many wonders and miracles and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. Peter said, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God you have taken and by lawless hands have crucified and slain. But Peter didn't stop there. He said, Him God raised up. In verse 32 of that same chapter, he speaks of Jesus whom God raised up, and he said, of whom we are all witnesses. 
Now, look at, the life, look at the lives of the apostles. These men were willing to put it on the line. They were willing to put their lives on the line for the resurrection of Jesus. Some people might say, well, it was just a hoax. Or it was just some fictitious tale. Or his enemies stole his body. Well, if that, if that were the case... And these apostles were going around witnessing to the resurrection of Christ. Why not produce the body? I mean, why not show the body and we're done with this thing? Well, the fact of the matter is, it was not fiction. They did not steal the body of Jesus. These men, along with others, had the opportunity to see the Lord, to see the resurrected Lord. Not only so, they were willing to give their lives for the resurrected Christ. Do you think these men would have been willing to die for something that was a hoax? I don't think so. In Acts chapter 3 at verse 15, Peter said that they had put to death the prince of life whom God raised from the dead. And he said again, we are witnesses of this event. In chapter 4 verse 33, again, the Bible says, with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. What were they doing? They were preaching the resurrected Christ. Why? Because the Christian religion stands or falls on the basis of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If this is not true, we're wasting our time. Here's what Paul said. If the resurrection of Christ is not, is not as is recorded in the pages of the Bible, our preaching is vain, our faith is vain, and we are yet in our sins. And thus his conclusion, we are of all men most miserable or of all men most pitiable. Well, thank God that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. And that's what we preach today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. Not only was Jesus resurrected from the grave, but He has now ascended to heaven. He is seated at the Father's right hand, which is a designation of His power or His authority. And He legislates His will through His Word. And the Bible says that He will one day come again. Did you know that when Jesus ascended to heaven, the two angels appeared, and they said to the apostles that this same Jesus that was taken up from you will so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Here's what Paul said. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he said, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. Jesus will come again. And when he comes, the only thing that's going to matter is, were we his children? Were we his followers? You see, these people had the opportunity, some of these people had the opportunity to visibly see the risen Savior. Think about Thomas. The Bible says in John chapter 20 that Thomas had the opportunity to examine the hands and side of the resurrected Christ. And you know what his response was? My Lord and my God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, or rather blessed are you, because you have seen and believed. Think about those of us today. We haven't seen 
the resurrected Lord, visibly speaking, but we believe it. Why do we believe it? Because of the evidence before us. We believe in the resurrection of Christ. And because of that resurrection, He has the keys to the cemetery today. So every open grave that we stand beside, we do so in hope of the resurrection. Jesus said in John chapter 5, The hour is coming when all that are in the graves shall hear His voice and come forth. Isn't that a comforting thought? To know that all who have lived for the Lord, even those who have not lived for Him, that they will come forth from the grave. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that we will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. He said, the dead shall be raised and we shall be changed. And then he said, this mortal shall put on immortality and this corruptible shall put on incorruption. What a marvelous thought. Why is that possible? Because of Jesus being resurrected from the grave. Do you believe in that fact? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Just a moment ago, I said that there are some possibilities. And there are a lot of people out here in this world, they have a lot, they have a lot of different conclusions as to who Jesus is. I suggest He's the Son of God. And I would submit unto you that He is the one that you need to follow, that you need to pattern your life after. Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins, John 8, verse 24. Do you believe Him to be the Son of God? Would you be willing to repent of your sins, turn from a life of sin, confess His name before others, and be immersed in water for the remission of your sins? If you'll do that, God will add you to the church. You'll be among the redeemed. And the Bible tells us that Christ is the Savior of that divine body that we know as the church, Ephesians 5, verse 23. And the promise is, if you'll live faithfully until death, the Lord will bestow on you the crown of life that fades not away, James 1 and verse 12. Maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you're not faithful. Maybe you're not living as you should. Could we encourage you to come home? You know, sometimes, sometimes we, well, we give up. Sometimes we go back into the world. Sometimes we're not what we ought to be. Well, the Bible tells us that there is a second law of pardon, and that God will forgive. What would you need to do? The Bible says, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. Could we pray with you and for you? God will abundantly pardon. Would you come as we stand and sing?